Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Greetings, dear listeners. Producer and co-ghost Ash here. What would the Twin Peaks retrospective be without our show being beguiled by technological, mischievous demons from a realm that we truly can't see? In other words, I was having some mic troubles on this episode, and the audio quality isn't where it usually is. But the conversation's still great, and I hope you enjoy it. Of course, of course, I can I can absolutely lead us in. I just I just need you to uh, sit in this lumber mill at night alone, tied up, if you don't mind. Um, it's probably best if you don't ask questions, but we're podcasting out of this lumber mill today. Um, I mean, that's that's fine. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be OK, though, although I'm assuming you're going to take the weird ticking noise that I can hear out of the final <laughs> final audio track. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to edit that out in post. Yeah, we're fine. OK, OK, cool. That's that's that. That's great. That's great. Um. So how how are you doing? How are you doing? The the podcasting equivalent of the log lady. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing quite well. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be 2023. Um, our our Twin Peaks retrospective has come at, at at somewhat of a cursed time in terms of the people who made Twin Peaks happen. Yeah, this is very true, and I I do wonder what dark forces are conspiring against us that have taken uh, Angelo Badlamenti uh, from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we've recorded multiple episodes multiple times. I I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Angelo Badlamenti uh, unfortunately passed away a few weeks ago. Um, Al Strobel, uh, the one-armed yeah. man himself. Uh, died on the day we released the one-armed man episode so it's been it's been a really sad time i I think for people who've been inspired and and really connected with twin peaks as kind of an art piece more broadly indeed and we are coming to the the conclusion (laughs) the the high point the denouement of the first season of twin peaks this is our episode on episode six realization time um where would you where would you like to begin so this episode i i really like this episode it's weird it's exciting and if if it does anything it makes me think about elden ring um, Uh, i'm I'm very excited i'm very excited for this take so (laughs) please do please do lay out at length the connections between David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks and uh, Miyazaki's Elden Ring. So, so what I really like about this is that um, I guess I guess our, the Log Lady's Precy is the new is the Precy of the um, Twin Peaks retrospective series. Um, but for realization time, the the Log Lady asks us, "Where is the beauty?" And, and more broadly, where does it? Or what does it mean to find and become beauty in a world that 
is in the process of becoming soulless, right? We, we exist, we find ourselves rather in a world that is very, very dark. It's, it's tragic in political terms and material terms and environmental terms and in just about any way you can, you could arrange these numbers or paint this picture. It is a grim world we find ourselves in. And what does it mean for there to be beauty in a place like that? To, to, is it, is it really just nothing more than this kind of like Baudelarian approach to, to finding, to finding beauty in the killer's knife, right? Is it really just that crass? Um, but I, I was thinking about the Log Ladies Precy, and there's a line from a recent FromSoft game uh, that you may or may not have heard of called Elden Ring. <laughs> and the line is actually a bit of cut dialogue that was data mined out of the game, but is not in the release itself. Um, and uh, the line the line reads, let all things flourish, whether graceful or malign. And it's about the rot that spreads through the game, right? There's this, uh, if you haven't played the game, there's this kind of like cosmic, cosmic uh, slime mold going throughout the world of Elden Ring. That's, that's you know, turning everything into monsters. Um, in addition to like four other things that are spreading throughout the world, turning everything into monsters, it's a FromSoft game. But what I find really enjoyable of that is like, you know, like a lot of the, the things that we approach as malign have their own inherent beauty, right? Like the fungal is, is such a great exploration of this. Like, like fungi and slimes and their fruiting bodies are, are so visually appealing when we kind of let go of the baggage that prevents us from seeing that. And I think the Log Lady's introduction to this episode is is nudging us in a, in a, in a similar direction to from software's video games. How, um, how did I know? How did I foresee as soon as you started talking? Oh yeah. How, yep. how, how did like, I kind of like, uh, a, an abyssal part of my mind opened <laughs> up and I knew we would come back to slime. <laughs> I, I, I knew we would come back to goo. Uh, is, there, is there anything else? <laughs> uh, but, but no, no, I don't. I, in all seriousness, no, I don't think there is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, dear listeners, I have a, I have a terrible confession to make. I'm getting paid by Big Slime to make these statements. Uh, <laughs> uh, Big Goo is is cutting me these checks. Every every episode to say positive things about fungi and slimes, and I, I, have are, to, I have to come clean. You are the slimer of this generation. <laughs> I guess I need to start eating more hot dogs. And <laughs> um, weirdly, though, I kind of do see what you mean. I do see what you mean, especially mm-hmm. because this is an episode which has a really interesting line, a uh, kind of like line of flight or thought about the human animal relationships because finally oh my god yes finally cooper has a witness has a witness who who can give reportage about what happened in that cabin um i am of course talking about the bird that they find that they find uh and then the bird is murdered the witness is snuffed out um what do you think about that? What do you think about that in the context of the human animal relationship? And what do you think about that in the context of like detection and crime? 
So one thing, one, one thing that we talked about earlier in, in this retrospective is that it, Cooper is recognizing broader systemic implications of, of crime, right? He's not looking for a killer in, in kind of a trite sense, right? He's attempting to detect something and these kind of social connections that are happening. And the thing, the thing that about the bird, the detail that I hadn't noticed until this watch through was that it's an Indonesian bird. They specifically say it's from Indonesia, right? So we have, we have this Indonesian bird that, that is the, the bearer of truth, the only witness, the thing that pushes the story forward. We, we have a South American llama walking randomly through an episode prior to this. We have Cooper's like, like strange statements about Tibet that pop up. And there's this, there's this weird meditation that's coming up in this show, especially with its, its use of animals about like colonialism and ways of knowing, it, especially if we, you know, when we consider the fact that like the, the town of Twin Peaks itself, fictitious as it is, is nevertheless a colonized space, mm -hmm. right? It, it, ex it exists because of the colonization of North America. And like, you know, the, the owls are not what they seem, right? Like, like there's this kind of, and, and it does, you know, kind of like reduce things to like animalistic qualities, which is problematic when talking about indigenous communities. But it does nevertheless point to this like, this, this whole first season is setting up ways of knowing, right? How, how do we derive information from our surroundings? And it's reminding us, I think, that there is a lot of information in the areas where we are that we wholly disregard because of how colonialism teaches us to see the land that we're on. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, the the interesting thing for me is that crime in in animal relationships, in the, in the webs of nature, crime does not exist. Right? There's, mm -hmm. there, yeah. there's, there, but there, there are acts often of like quite shocking violence, but that's not the same thing mm -hmm. as them being crimes. And yeah. there's something interesting here when like, not only do modes of knowledge get rearticulated, but actually systems of law are necessarily like a kind of, they have an ecology to them, right? Because if you accept that kind of knowledge, if you accept the kind of knowledge that comes from non-human agents, not only does it make responsibility harder to pin down necessarily, because, mm -hmm. uh, but of course, but it also widens out questions of blame or it like makes blame much more diffuse, which is exactly the whole point of this first season, right? Our first, our, our major witness is the bird and the bird that can easily be killed. But really the whole point of that scene is not just like a funny, weird joke, but is in a sense, a kind of exploration of actor network theory, right? This notion of like, where is the single point of origin of violence? And the whole point is, well, that doesn't exist, but we can include multiple points of knowledge that give us a kind of systemic understanding of this whole thing. Oh, I really like that. That's really interesting. It's, I mean, like, and it's interesting how it's mediated through technology as well. Like, like they're able to d discover the, the information that this bird holds because Cooper has an has a voice activated recorder. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. what a great detail! Of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> so I I love that because that feels like that's almost like this 
Trekian bit of speculative fiction thrown in there. This there, there's this weird kind of like machinic thing going on, right? Like identifying like it's it's not human what, the, the, where this information comes from. It's an animal speaking to a machine, and then humans have to parse that data later on. Like we are, you know, like we're we're just kind of like these like low level augers trying to parse this greater data we've been given. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. But the consequences of that is like, really, really Billy's in, uh, right. You know, I'm thinking back to the scene at the funeral. Who killed Laura Palmer? Everybody yep. did. Everybody did, right? Everyone, everyone oh, is, yeah. everyone's implicated. Everyone's implicated. Even though eventually we will come to the point, right, that where there'll be, oh, the blame will be situated here. Nobody is outside of this network of actors, not even, even crucially not even the non-human yes oh my god yeah that is such uh twin peaks just keeps on giving and in the spirit of keeping on giving uh horrorvanguard.com patreon.com slash horrorvanguard that was a really cl- crass patreon plug you know to, to be honest like midway through doing that i was like in the spirit of giving, like now, now I sound like I'm I'm the cashier at Sears asking you to donate five dollars to offset the yearly corporate profits. <laughs> uh, if if you would like at this most seasonal time of year to support <laughs> to support your local podcasters, um, you can do it through Patreon.com/slash HorrorVanguard for bonus content, early access, access to the uh hv crypt the spookiest discord server on the left and a whole lot more um yeah no, sign, we up, do, sign up we do artisanal small batch podcasts here at our independent <laughs> podcast roastery yeah you're, you're not supporting big <laughs> podcast when you support horror vanguard yeah you know it's uh it's like podcast we're supporting mic- big slime though <laughs> yeah you're supporting big slime but it's like the podcast microbrewery <laughs> that's that's where we are we're in the podcast microbrewery and if you'd like to see more uh more of the podcast microbrews then you know we can't do it without you <laughs> you know what i should i think we should talk about yeah what i think we should talk about insurance let's 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 do it <laughs> like what would you like to talk about uh insurance is essentially the capitalization of ontology mm-hmm. right insurance is this uh-huh, idea yeah. of like your own existence can be your kind of glorious uh, sublimity of human existence can be subjected to this epistemic violence of quantification and turned into like numbers on a balance sheet um Mm -hmm. and i think in the context of this show it's so interesting that this is exactly what our big our big kind of like climactic moment in these two episodes the last two episodes of this first season are really about are about insurance fraud uh right that's 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 we will we will get to we'll get to the uh the idea of burning down the castle but like it's done because existence can be reduced down to numbers on a balance sheet right it it gives you yeah. a neat it gives you a neat solution to a problem and in a way it sets there's this contrast here that's constantly being worked out in this show between deterministic simplistic answers to questions of causality of agency of subjectivity right all of these people who initially at the start of the show seem to be just like so much stereotypes 
they've become kind of deepened, made more contradictory and, and ambiguous as the show has gone on. And the same happens here, right? The, what the act of violence is actually to try and reinscribe the domination of quantification, right? The the idea of reducing the, the subject into quite literally dollars and cents. Ooh, I really, I really like that too. And you could especially see, see that in the way that the uh, Packard Mill treats its workers. Oh yeah, in in the fact that it doesn't. They, they do not enter into the math. They are non-entities. They are hardly even in the show. You know, they're, they are a presumed background creature. Yeah, this kind of like absence, right? The worker is literally unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Which, which, you know, as we've talked about before in previous episodes, like the, the worker is nothing for capitalism if an impediment to profits. Yeah, precisely. I mean, it isn't is, that it is isn't a thing that, that needs to be done away with? Isn't that like isn't like that true of how uh, Ben and Jerry and the rest of them treat the women at One Eye Jacks? Right? Yes, they're, mm. they're literally unthinkable. This idea that they that they, uh, these people have kind of thoughts and an internal reality seems to be completely alien to these to to uh, the men that go there. And so oh, it is absolutely. not not surprising that our. Our uh, queen and icon, uh, Audrey, ends up going there as well. All hail Audrey Horn, uh, the third benefactor of Horror Vanguard. So we have our Patreon supporters, Big Slime and Audrey Horn's estate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on how Audrey gets her job? So I I find this to be interesting. and, And I think like, obviously, the first thing is like solidarity and critical support to sex workers everywhere. You know, like, like for the one-eyed jacks, it's, it's such an interesting thing to, to include in this show and an interesting way in, in which it's depicted. And, like, God, there's so much to pick apart with Audrey working at one-eyed jacks. I hardly hardly know where to, to start with this. But what I find to be interesting about this is, is again, like, like, Audrey is conveniently counterposed next to Cooper, Right, because Cooper also goes to One-Eyed Jacks, but but he goes with a principled and delibidized desire to to detect. Right, he is there as the detective to to draw information forth from from this CD operation. His engagement with it is 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 a is a hollow, dishonest one, even if his motives are good. Right, you know he's he's not there for any libidinal purpose. He's there because he has work to do. Meanwhile, Audrey is also there because she has work to do, but it is expressly through a libidinal means. Well, this is the thing, right? It, does Cooper investigate in a kind of dry, delibidinized way? Weirdly, I actually think the commonality is a lot closer. They're both. They're oh, both. Okay. They're both. They're both there for this kind of like. Uh, there, there is no abstraction in their modes of thought, right? It's, it's mm. this intensely lived and embodied mode of experience and of engaging with the world. Cooper's is kind of like free associative and mm-hmm. uh, uh, psychedelic. Audrey's is uh, much more direct in some ways, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but also much more aware of her own kind of vulnerability under these systems of patriarchy, right? The whole point of oh, One Eye yeah. The whole point of One Eye Jacks is like 
this idea of like small town America being like, oh, you thought that d- doesn't happen here? Like this is, it's like a classic Foucault's repression hypothesis, right? Mm-hmm. The whole point is like the, the libidinal desire is not uh, simply repressed or excluded, but heavily regulated. And it has yeah. to be done in this space, which is literally across the border, <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it has to. It, right, it's it's outside of the outside of the uh, outside of the the colony. To use your language from earlier, that's where mm-hmm. it's allowed to happen. Um, so I th- I always think one eye one eye jacks is just created as this kind of really interesting space, especially in contrast to like the lodge that also exists beyond the border. But that border mm-hmm. is not just kind of like legal or geographic, but kind of like metaphysic as well. Oh, absolutely. And to, and to kind of like bring back a point you made earlier about how kind of like the boss class sees the worker or more importantly, does not see them. You know, Ben Ben Horn uh, is is visiting one eye jacks with his new, uh, you know, Scandinavian business clients. And, and he is there to avail himself of all of the pleasures that one eye jacks has to offer, which now includes his daughter, the new girl. Yeah. And. Now that Audrey Horn has been subsumed into an employment position, who is she is now a worker. She is now a member of the working class, full and true. Ben can literally no longer see her. Yeah, he is, and it's it's the way of it's the way of it kind of like negating the incest taboo, right? Yeah, or, or like the 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 quasi incest taboo. It's classic it. gothic, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You do the, this is like, if, if you thought Pornhub was the first source of like your convenient new stepsister getting caught in some kind of like, I don't know, modernist industrialized uh, hellscape and then pursued by some kind of familial patriarch, uh, uh, guess again, because in the 1700s, there were several steps ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, help, help step, bro. I'm, I'm caught in the psychosexual anti anti Catholic labyrinth beneath the old monastery. <laughs> oh, oh dear. We have fun here. We have fun here. Uh, it it took me way too many postgraduate degrees to understand that joke. <laughs> I, I know that one. That one's for the Gothic studies fans in the audience. Oh. Uh, but but speaking of this, speaking of this idea of like displaced identity mm-hmm. uh, or like negated identity, that's it, it, exactly what happens with Maddie, James, and Donna, right? Like Mad, Maddie, who is who is Laura, but yes, oh, but yes, not. Uh, and is often seen to be Laura, and in fact, that that's the crux of the plan that they come up with to to deal with uh, everybody's everybody's most Foucauldian psychiatrist, Doctor Jacoby. <laughs> and here and here begins the completion of Doctor Jacoby. We're, we're we'll, we'll get to this when we get to Doctor Jacoby selling golden shovels. But uh, yep. this is. This is, I think, the beginning of Dr. Jacoby realizing who he truly is and and escaping the kind of like like the the psychiatric prison he created for himself. And it, it first it involves his heart dying, yeah, which I, I I find to be incredibly fascinating, right? Because he's a fictitious character. This isn't a literal heart attack. it's not it's not a biomechanical failing of valves and pumps and muscle. 
it's it's a metaphysical heart attack, right? The heart of him, the heart of this man, his very core cannot sustain the world he has found himself in, the world he is also responsible for creating. And before he can kind of move as a character, that has to die. That has to fail him. And I find it so interesting that it's Laura's doppelganger that is the force that pushes him over. It's our little Twin Peaks Scooby-Doo gang. Yes, yes. We, we, the, I love that there is essentially a Scooby gang in the end of this first season. <laughs> I love I, it. And I think it, yeah, I think it's so important too, because like, again, this whole, this whole first season is ways of knowing you know, you, you have you have knowledge coming from machines, you have knowledge coming from animals, you have knowledge coming from individual minds and minds interconnected with others. You have knowledge coming from libidinal bodies. And, and you've also got knowledge coming from, you know, like young adults, teens having their first serious encounters with the world around them. Yeah, this idea that actually, you know, again, this is this is why I, I like Lynch a lot, which is that he very much respects the agential capacity of like young young people oh, and it yeah. gives gives them the freedom to do very stupid things uh mm-hmm. but also but also like goes no you can go out into the world you can exert your agency on on circumstances you can actually try to to solve something to try and make the world a better place and i think that, that's you know it's remarkably open minded you know I I really love how, you know, because the adults, infrequently do the adults in Twin Peaks kind of scold the kids for being kids. You know, Donna's Donna's parents are incredibly understanding of her occasional wayward teenage activities. And even when Cooper is, is kind of like, you know, warning James that he's like, Okay, like you're investigating this Laura thing, but there are some dangerous players in this game. Like you're 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 doing something v- like very risky. Yeah, do you, I mean that's it's, essentially the question that he he poses to Audrey, right? When she turns up yep. at the very beginning of this episode in his bed, and he's like, "Do mm-hmm. you know what? Do you know what you're doing here? Do you know you? Yeah. I don't. I like he, he's he's very kind of like he's very kind of kind. Just goes. Mm-hmm. I don't think you. I don't think you really understand what it is that you're going to get yourself into here and it's completely impossible for it to happen in the first place <laughs> so <laughs> how about i get us and some dinner <laughs> I, I think there's there's a one-line exchange that really like expresses i think like a core difference between their characters and then and that's that's the line where audrey says something like oh oh cooper i've got such dark secrets i, I have so many dark secrets do you have any secrets which is which is a very that's very juvenile. That's very that's very that has the the, the honesty of youth is in that line. And yeah, then yeah. And Cooper, who's Cooper, he's 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 a young man, but he's crossed that line. He's an adult now. You know, he he looks at her and he's like, no. And then he moves the conversation on. Cooper absolutely has skeletons in his closet. This man has seen some shit. He's hunting a serial killer across state lines. You know, like like he is full of darkness, but he knows that the answer to that question in that moment is just a simple no, and then to move no. the conversation forward. He also has a remarkably cool attitude towards. He has a, like there's a good life philosophy in Cooper's mode of living. I think. Uh, <laughs> should we talk about our favorite line from this episode? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, should, should I should I read it? Should I read it? Yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, uh, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Every day. Once a day, give yourself a present. 
don't plan it. Don't wait for it. Just let it happen. It could be a new shirt in a men's store or a cat nap in your office chair or two cups of good, hot, black coffee. Or it could be subscribing to the Patreon page for Horror Vanguard. <laughs> where, you'll get, uh, where you'll get my opportunity to save my bad read from earlier in my failed Patreon plug. Uh, that, 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 that part of the, uh, that part of the line was cut. Yeah, tra- tragically, tragically, D- David Lynch did go on record as, as saying that that was his favorite line that had ever been written ever in the course of human events. But tra- tragically, they, they, the, the horror vanguard show didn't exist yet, so they couldn't put it in there because no one knew what he was talking about. Shame. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly. Uh, self-care king right there. Self-care. But I, 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 I really, you can keep oh, you oh, can on, keep on. you can keep your mandated mental health and resilience training. You can keep your uh, you know ten minute meditation practice every day. Just give yourself a little present. Like it's such a great tip. <laughs> yeah, I really I really like that. I really like that, and especially the framing as a gift too, right? Because I know like a, a lot of gift giving has been subsumed into capitalism, but on a conceptual level, the gift is an anti capitalist social device. It is something given without the assumption of reciprocity. You are you are you are escaping the kind of material chain of capital when you freely surrender material goods to another party simply because you want to see them happy. And in mm-hmm. this case, that other party is the many internal subdivisions of the self. Part of you is in pain. Give it a little gift today. Do we are approaching the the denouement, the high point of this first season? Do we, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up this installment of our journey? Oh, I am just I am so excited to to get to the final episode of season one, the end of season one of our Twin Peaks retrospective, uh, in two weeks' time when we talk about episode seven, the last evening. Boom, there we go. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.